1: How much do you think an editor is really worth? You are pretty much half the YouTube channel. It's kind of being ballsy, just asking for it. I want half the ad revenue, all of it, if I'm honest. How do you actually have the balls to go ahead and ask for that kind of cash?
0: No one wants to lose
1: their editor. If an editor leaves, everything stops.
2: That's true. But why has the YouTube landscape
1: gotten more and more divided? And it's more confusing than ever to get them from here to there yet.
0: I know someone who does about a quarter of a million a year just from ad revenue and they refer to it as it's a nice bonus. If they found an editor who made their life 10 times easier, they
1: just say take it. This is Ed Lawrence. He's a YouTube strategist and he's figured out how to make YouTube work for him. Assets make people money. So if you think of yourself as an asset,
0: not an editor, you can ask for anything really.
2: In this podcast, we explore with Ed how to refine your editing skills, how to build relationships with content creators and advocate for your value the editing podcast is brought to you by Riverside it is the best remote video recording tool for podcasts you can find out more about them later the environment that we're in is really really exciting where I can't quite explain it but the editing economy I'm calling it that the editing economy kind of has blown up hugely in the past two to three years we're getting a massive demand and and a really interesting supply of like trying to catch up towards that demand. And sometimes there's huge skill gaps. One of the main issues is that everyone can be an editor, but the problem is, is that now everyone is an editor. And then so for the actual talent to be able to stand out has also been a really interesting process and how we're all probably managing to do that but i think what is interesting is that the business side of being an editor is incredibly exciting because editors are realizing that if they want to be a creator on youtube they can be an editor and work essentially uh, side by side with an upcoming or even huge creator but the money side the business side how do you generate income and a reliable income i think is something that a lot of editors are struggling to kind of figure out how can editors have a business in this current economy there's just so many
0: ways and like you said it's exciting because content production's going like this and now everyone wants to be a content creator because it's such a great business and they can have a great lifestyle so the demand is shooting up like crazy the people who want it all have the same problem. I can't find a good editor. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to find a good editor. And that in itself is the bigger problem. Editors are flipping useless at promoting themselves. They're editors. And this is the same with all sorts of like, on YouTube in particular, you have YouTube creators, and then they're like, how do I make money? And then you have the business owners going, how do I make videos? The business owners who use YouTube as a marketing thing, they just explode their... Uh, and then the youtube creators just struggle so it's the same with the editors there's loads of different ways we can do it you can do the freelance model there's different levels of freelance so you've got upwork freelancing mm-hmm. this is probably where you need to start yeah. you know you've got you've got to get someone to hire you somehow and again if we go back to this whole idea of oh i can't find a good editor it's usually because people are so bad at writing job descriptions that the good editors are like hell no i'm not doing that like you want a job that's exciting yeah. but that's probably the first place to start is like if you want to become an editor get some experience working with people and go to a platform like that but personally if you want to make decent money you want to be getting off that as soon as possible Mm. and you want to be getting sort of retainer based stuff then the other way is to create an agency so most editors are not going to like this because you have to stop being an editor you become a businessman who knows how to edit who then builds a team of editors mm-hmm. now this is significant in terms of upside and money that you can make but it's also a big headache so what you see at the moment is there's there's lots of these places that are like oh 500 a month unlimited editing uh, and they're just awful because mm-hmm. it's a numbers game mm-hmm. so it's like see how many people we can get in and most of the churn rate on them will be will be useless because they're not spitting out quality so i personally don't think you should be looking at starting a mass agency i think you should go to the next option which is a high ticket agency and in order to do that you've got to be pretty flipping good at editing right but what you'd be looking for is a handful of clients you charge a hell of a lot to who really value you, rather than a mass market and what you generally find is the more you charge the better the client you'll get yeah if you charge cheap it's an absolute headache because cheap is expensive to people who can't afford expensive so if I say it's $100, they expect $1,000 worth of value. If you find someone who you charge $10,000 to, they just want like one quick win that makes their life easier. But they've also got systems and processes in place where they can get a quick return on that $10,000. So it's not expensive. So you want to be going high ticket, looking for people who desperately need someone to level up what they can do. in kind of every area take a massive headache off their hand, especially if it's a business-minded creator, because their time is so valuable, they might look at it and go, well, I might pay that person 10 grand a month. But I can use that to make 200 grand a month in my business and then it's kind of like the super niche editing businesses you can become the person who just specializes in subtitles you can become the person who specializes in animation you can like take on one little bit there's opportunity everywhere
2: you just have to sort of pick one of these areas and go all in on it really. There is a lot to digest there but I I was you've already pretty much given us the whole podcast in cool, 5 minutes see you right? yeah, okay. <laughs> thanks for watching right. guys. Ba 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 ba. But let's just break down a lot of what you just said there because I think essentially I agree in a lot of it but I think one of the things and this was one of the realizations that I had as well and this was kind of an accidental thing. I did start uh, making my own videos and saying, "Hey, I'm an editor and I do this and I work for this person." And then I started doing breakdowns as well like here's how this video works and here's how it could potentially even be better. And people started sharing his videos and I started getting lots of uh, job opportunities as well. And that was when I realised that actually, you can be a really, really great editor. But you also have to be a really great marketer. And so you have to be able to market yourself, you have to essentially light the beacon and tell the world, hey, here I am with my abilities here I am with my talent. And here's why you should hire me. And I think I do see uh, a lot. I do see a lot of people kind of make that mistake. And I think a lot I've seen a lot of we've all seen fantastic editors, who don't have a Twitter profile, don't have an Instagram profile, they don't showcase their own abilities. And because of the algorithm, like, uh, they know that I like content creation, and I like editing, they know I like filmmaking, if they do make their content, it gets handed to me. And I go, wow, that's actually really great. Let me message that person and let me give them a job. And so it's like, I do see a lot of that. But I think it comes down to also The marketing as well. You need to be a marketer more than an editor. Yeah. You can market an average product
0: and make it world-class. If you think about like a coffee, right? Mm -hmm. What makes one coffee worth 100 million and then another worth nothing? And it's the same product most of the time. It's just the way you package stuff up. So once you've hit a certain level, you can potentially really be shifting your focus to okay, how do I make my marketing better than my product? And then work on leveling up the product at the same time. The more business you get, the better you'll get at running that service as well. I think that's the thing that people don't wanna do. Obviously the people come into editing because it's a passion, marketing isn't, but you've really got to learn it and the business side of it to be able to enable you to follow your passion.
2: So, this was recorded in our studio. And we also record podcasts remotely. And we're able to get that 4K crispy video
1: with Riverside. If you're not using Riverside for all of your virtual meetings, you're making a big mistake.
2: I've even been using it for consultations. As soon as we're done, I get to send them the
1: entire recording. And not to mention the recording quality is fricking it's good, which is why we like to use it for podcasting. And we love it because it records each audio and video track separately so that editing is such a breeze when we get into post, which means our editor can get started on cutting it Almost immediately. And even if you or your guest has absolute garbage internet, it doesn't matter. Because remember that one time when we were in the hotel room? I mean, the call kept on jostling. I thought we lost it, but because Riverside records
2: locally and then uploads, the call was perfect. And it's easy for the guests, they don't need to install anything, you just send them the link and you can start recording.
1: It even says like, roll out the red carpet, it's kind of of cool. Yeah, it makes me feel special. It makes me feel so special.
2: Riverside can also auto transcribe your recording and use its text-based editing tool to edit it right there. If you're podcasting, creating video content or recording online calls, then sign up to riverside.fm for free and use code editing podcast for 20% off.
1: And you can find that link in the description and we'll see you back in the interview. So what about marketing should you focus on if you're just an editor? You're like, I'm just wanting to get more business. How should I, how should I go about that? The dumbest thing
0: that happens is I get tons of emails.
2: Ah, oh, can I edit for you? And I'm, and I'm like, where's the video? <laughs> yeah, i got, got two of those this morning. You know? It's like,
0: I don't know. Can you edit for me? You've sent me no link. Yeah. I don't know who you are. You've said nothing. And you get tons of them. And it's like, if you want to get business find someone you want to work for go and take one of their videos maybe one of their older ones and just re-edit it and try and make it better than their latest one and go look this is what I do seeing is believing right it's, it's show don't tell so if someone sent me that and they were like I took one of your film booth videos and I did this to it and it and I was like that's amazing suddenly I'm like how much is this how do I hire you it's, it's a very quick
2: decision when you see it mm. so you should be thinking of showing we get quite a few of those a week. And but I, and I do get those emails. I have re to one of your videos. Uh, let me know what you think. You've actually already given me the effort. So I actually do feel a bit more compelled to give you the effort back straight away. And so I do click on those. Admittedly, I give them five seconds, probably less, yeah. if they can get me past that five seconds, I go, okay, Actually, this could be interesting. Let me see where and can keep going with this. 99 out of 100, I still can't get past the first five seconds, but I've still engaged in those emails anyway. So they've done the right thing. They've sent it to like the world's top YouTube editor, right? And if they get a knockback, keep doing it.
0: Yeah. Send it to someone who isn't the world's top YouTube editor. You're still potentially going to be 10 times better than what they've already got. Aiming big is great, but um, I work with educators, and I know so many of them are just like, this is the biggest headache. I just want someone who makes my life easier and my content better. So you could always go, right, let's try someone else, see what I can do with their content. To me, that is just the way to go. Just keep doing it until you find something. And then the cool thing about YouTube in particular is once you've got one, they'll tell their friends. Right. Like you will be booked out within an instant.
1: That's what actually happened to me too in my freelance editor journey was pretty much every single client was word of mouth. Yep. And so I only had to do, I only had to reach out to one guy and I sent him an Instagram DM and I said, hey, here's my real, here's why I'd like to work with you. Here's why I love your work and how I think I can make it better. And then like within a month, he didn't reply for a while, but he, then he got back to me. And then after I worked with him for a little while, I just started getting emails. I just started getting Instagram DMs. And so I think it's it's really just about honing in on one person, one creator, just one good client mm-hmm. and the floodgates will open for you
0: even if in the freelance model you don't even need many in fact like two clients <laughs> yeah. especially if they're putting out like a video a week i mean you might only need one so i tend to be about two and a half grand to edit a film booth video for someone i only put two out a month so they make 5k they're a freelancer they're looking for other clients they can easily hit 10 grand a month
1: for me it was the music video world so i i needed probably about five to ten different music video directors that would constantly hire me and then I would be booked out. So Yeah,
2: I get that. Ten K a month. I like that's that's already really good like numbers for an editor. How much of a percentage do you trust them to get it done? They'd eased their way in. Yeah. So they had done my other channel, which mm-hmm. is way like lower stakes.
0: I'm not teaching people to make YouTube videos. So I'm not as fussy. The most important thing for me was that I think this was the best thing where I was like, I like working this guy is I forgot to send him all the assets. Mm-hmm. Like I just sent him the files, and he didn't bother me. I just got a video back, and I was just like, "Oh shit, I just realized I didn't send you anything." and he just went, "Yeah, I just Googled it, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. So many editors would have been like, "You need to send me it." So now that's the system. I send himself. Sometimes he just to come back to me, but that time saving on me is worth significantly more than I pay him, because I can just get that out of my head and it just turns up. Yeah, I think the way you should look at it is you want to get to a stage where there's no feedback. And you'll, you'll lose this from mistakes. So when I used to have a production company, you, you eventually got less and less and less feedback because you know the little niggly, little niggly comments that come, mm. right? The editor's really become an asset that enable people to develop a business. Mm. And it's, it's one of the biggest sort of blockers for creators is that they don't get that time back to run their business and then they don't make any money and it all goes mm.
1: bad. How much do you think an editor is really worth?
0: There's two sides to this. So what they need to do is value their time in the result it gives the client. So let's say if I hire an editor and I pay him five grand a month, and that frees up two weeks of the month, and if I value my time at a grand an hour, I've potentially made 50, 60K or something, right? And that's how a lot of business people think. That's why for me, the business guys, it might not be as sexy and fun as the entertainment ones, but the good business owners are thinking like that. They're like, oh, five grand. Well, hang on a sec. I was going to make me a hundred grand. Cool. Let's do it. It's a quick
1: win. So how do you... As an editor, you gotta work that out. So you gotta work
0: <laughs> up to it. It's scary, but what you need to do is build a relationship and then double your price. Right. So you need to get to a stage where they're loving you and they're like, This is fantastic. You know, there's no feedback. Because if you turn around and say, look, I'm in demand, you know, I'm also aware I'm adding a ton of value to your business, you know, growing, I need paying double. I'd struggle to say no. Cause they've got to go, oh, I've got to find them again. I've got to do this. We're getting on so well. So yeah, you shouldn't be afraid to have dramatic price swings once you've built that relationship. And again, if you're working with the businesses, a lot of them will be like, good boy.
2: <laughs> I like that we're talking about this, but if I'm honest, I feel like this is a bit of like the end game part of it. Yeah, This is where we all want to be. Yeah, But navigating to get to that point is probably significantly harder to do than it is to be said. And also that market is a lot more smaller compared to I would say. The middle class market, where there is like uh, where there is the uh, the clients that are spending five hundred video, thousand video, or probably even yeah. probably even less. There's more of those people, and there's more editors in that bubble. Yeah. How can they navigate through that industry and potentially try to graduate into I would say the upper class industry?
0: Well, you've got to hone your craft, right? And really, what I, the way I look at it, and do marketing, you need to become known for something. Mm. So you need, like I said, like. Yeah, there's the person who just subtitles it's boring as hell right but if you get labeled as someone who does something exceptionally well you move up the ranks you're also going to use that time to figure out who you like working with and not and actually this is a really important stage because i can smell a bad client a mile off now just from their first email and you're like oh all of the signs here are just like no and you have to <laughs> learn which clients to say yes and no to so you can get there so yeah you're gonna have to put in the reps or if you're always thinking this is not my end game, my end game is bigger than this. And you have an idea of who that person is, you can start to use it to funnel out the right and the wrong people. And then just go by referral. Just, just the, the way I look at it is this, if someone pays you to do a job, and you go in and do 100% of your efforts, it's not enough. Do 120% of what they paid you. Obsess over getting better and better. And also just try and learn business, marketing, and especially sales, which a lot of people aren't going to want to do. Read a Hormosey book. And if you can build those skills together, you'll, you'll get out of that mess. But
2: you've really got to give it your all what's interesting then if there is you also said uh you can sniff out a good client and a bad client what is a good client and what is a bad client a good client is
0: one who firstly they'll probably have a lot of experience working with people there's no stakes the stakes aren't too high for them so they've usually they usually think they're getting a good deal they're not gonna give you endless feedback they're not gonna think they know best like as me as an editor when i work i did 14,000 videos this production company i edited most of them And he got to the stage where the editor would be like, change this and this. And I'd be like, no, that's just dumb. It's gonna wreck it. And you know, right? You know better than the client most of the time. So you can kind of push back. So if they're too controlling, if it feels like, oh, there's so much at stake here, if they're nagging, if they write really long emails, like this is exactly what I want, just hit delete. Like we shouldn't be reading books. (laughs) (laughs) Because the the good guys ain't got the time. They just want everything quick. A good client will probably just hire you to test you out. And then they'll be judging you silently. That's what Hmm. I tend to find. So they'll they'll see something they like and then they'll be like, right, let's test you out. And then they'll give feedback or say goodbye. I think a good client will also, like you can look out for stuff like if they talk about their team, okay, they're used to working with people and hiring people. They're going to have systems in places. Um, They probably know how to be a good boss rather than the people who are new to it who don't. And that's actually a skill. Like when, trying to grow a team is really tough and you have to learn okay how do i control people or yeah. not control that's the wrong word don't turn that out of context <laughs> you know how do i we'll work put, with we'll people put that in our shorts so just have it as that you know <laughs> how do i control people <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like how, do, how do i work with people how do i get the best out of them and how do i incentivize them right and that's another thing like you've got to dangle a carrot because mm. if they're just stuck you know in the, in the same role why would they keep trying to push themselves so but really, it's experience. I think everyone goes through the same thing. And you tend to find all the business people I know have the same thing. They're paying a lot. They're way better to work with. Mm than if they're not paying much at all.
2: You said something interesting there was dangle a carrot. I think a good incentive can be you're a good client, we don't have to communicate that much, we can both get a job done, great. Like stress level zero, that's a pretty good dangling carrot sort of experience was like, this is manageable, I'm not pulling my hair out. Other incentives can be, I call them residuals because I'm from a traditional background, but people are calling it ad rev share. Disturksto tweeted out that Destiny, who is a streamer, gives his editor 45% revenue share on his videos. And that then gives uh, that editor the incentive to, I wanna make sure this is the best video possible because if this video continues to grow and increases that sense, I get more of that as well. But if he didn't have that, he has no reason to potentially be working up his skill because it's like, he's probably settled what other ways or probably even that way like could creators encourage uh their editors to continue upscaling their ability yeah the revenue share makes perfect
0: sense you are at the end of the day in terms of creativity you are pretty much half the youtube channel yeah so uh or maybe like 45 percent or something but it's, it's a rough as around that so again it's kind of being ballsy just asking for it it should be if you want a long-term relationship and every creator is going to want to hire you. that don't a long-term relationship, it should be something you bring up at the start and go, look, I'll take the pay. If I'm here in three years' time still, I want half. If you've grown to this amount of subscriber count, if your revenue's hit this, I want half the ad revenue, or all of it, if I'm honest. I know someone who does about a quarter of a million a year just from ad revenue, and they refer to it as, it's a nice bit, of, like it's a nice bonus, but the business makes so much money. Mm-hmm. I reckon if they found an editor who made their life 10 times easier, they'd just say, take it, because yeah. it's not, it does not enough meaning to them. There's an example recently, someone was telling me that, someone edited for free on a YouTube channel for a year with the agreement that I get the ad revenue. Uh, The next year, they made like $1,000. The next year went up to 10. And then it's like 350,000 they're making now because they've helped this channel grow. Now, of course, have to be in a position where <laughs> you, <laughs> you can, can do, do free, right? Yeah. You can survive but actually, do you know what? If yeah. you're young and you live at your parents' house.
2: Well, you'd have to convince the parents like, like, like yeah, I, yeah, dad, I'm making an income. They might like uh, disapprove, but if you can prove it to them, like, hey, this can going to work out. Yeah. But what if it doesn't work out though? What if you hit that gamble and the channel never takes off? We would have just built a huge amount of experience. That's true. There's literally no downside. You either just don't
0: make money and learn a ton mm. or you make money and learn a ton.
1: I mean, you said that editors might contribute up to 45, 50% of the value to a particular YouTube channel. And so how do you actually have the balls as an editor to go ahead and ask for that kind of cash or to go ahead and say, hey, this is the value that I have. This is what I need to be making. How do you, how do you make that happen? You've got to be very confident. Just, you can't go in there being like,
0: oh, excuse, <laughs> excuse me, do you mind if i a pay rise, Mr. Officer? Yeah. Um, no, I think one, one little hack would be you do it after a win. So let's say you edit a video and it blows up and gets a million views, that's your time to ask. <laughs> but um, you've also got to make sure that you are providing that. You know, you need to be kind of asking questions that you get feedback along about how things are going. If they're saying stuff like, I couldn't do this without you, um, you know, this has been game-changing, the channel's exploding, well, that's a good sign, right? If they're not saying that, you know, and it's just like yeah, this is all right. They're just going to say no potentially. So I also don't think it will do any harm getting a no. Really, it's just a case of if you don't ask, you don't
2: get. But you need to make sure that you've built a good relationship. They trust you. You're adding a lot of value, and then ask. But even with that, I think the implication of that could be: let's just say, uh, all right, you're not going to give me this raise, then I'm out. And then what that then does is you don't have to start looking for another client, or maybe you've now just lost half your income. So kind of the pressure's on to you a little bit if you. Actually, instead, of probably maintain and developing that relationship. Let's just say that creator did have excellent potential and he probably knew it, but because they weren't be giving it to you now, you then choose to leave. And then they blow up. And then part of it can probably be like, ah, oh, shit, what if I stayed? What are the pros and cons of maybe working with someone in the short term or more so developing a long term relationship?
0: So, the short term, the pros are going to be you get good and actually someone else poaches you. Mm. So, you leave or what you find is lots of people are offering you places. And this will happen a lot Mm. um, if you get good and you start to build a reputation, because the YouTubers will tell that they'll be bragging when they find a great editor. Some of my friends have just taken people. It's like, well, I'm going to buy them. I'm like, they're just going to do everything on my channel and they give them a massive fat pay. So that can happen. The problem with the con of leaving is you can't what if, what if, because what if their channel explodes and I miss out on becoming the world's most famous YouTuber, what if they just stop? Like, Mm. I don't make videos for Film Booth at the moment, because I don't want to. Mm. My editor's not getting paid. You know, he's not got any work coming in on that channel. So what if I quit? Mm. Oh. That's gone by. You know, I'm, I'm not worrying about the editor. I'm looking out for myself, right? So that could be another way of looking at it. Kind of gotta follow your heart, you know. So <laughs> uh, like, like being cheesy. But it makes a lot of sense. You go, is this making me happy? Do I think there's a future here? Just be open and ask them. For long term, the pros are exponential. You know, if if the creator gets big and they start selling merch, or you know, they're like, right, I want to start another channel. Will you help me build a team? Or they are like, I want to build a flipping editing business because all my YouTube buddies are so impressed with my editing. Let's do that. There's unlimited amount of potential if you stick with someone, and of course the con is if you stick with them for ages and you never progress, then really that's that's on you. Like you you gotta you gotta communicate what you want, and you gotta say this is what I want from my from your business. And I've been here years. Where's this taking me? Because no one wants to be stuck in a dead end, right? Right. So. I think if you're open with the person, especially if you are in a long-term relationship, you should decide based on their answer. If they turn around and just say no and nothing happens, it's like, cool, I'm gone.
1: No, I think that's interesting because it seems like you're putting a lot of the responsibility on the editor rather than the creator. Lots of times in these conversations, are like, oh, creators need to pay their editors more. They editors are being stifled. But really what you're saying is, you know, you gotta you gotta be able to ask.
0: Well, it's not, look, the, the creator's gonna have a ton of things on their plate and it might not be, you know, intentional they might have just forgotten to be like right let's have a chat about the future Mm -hmm. Mm. um i don't think many of them will be sitting there going i don't want to pay them anymore and if they are they probably shouldn't be working with you so i don't see why the editor shouldn't just bring it up like people have brought up with me and just said pay me more and i'm just like okay or if i don't want to work with them i'm like well for longer or something you know i'm like okay well maybe direction change and i just say no
2: so it's essentially don't be afraid to put the seed in their head because yeah they're they're simply not thinking about it because they they are managing a business and so just hey this is another thing in your business you should think about and they go yeah you are great. You have been really reliable. Of course, have a raise. Yeah. yeah. No one wants to lose their editor in the YouTube community. Oh yeah. It's a nightmare. Like if, if an editor's if an editor leaves, everything stops. And you also forget, like, so I edit. So if they leave, I'll just edit. Most
0: people aren't very good at editing, right? So they get an editor who's good and they leave and they're like, oh, I'm going to sit down and edit. And then they have this fear of the community. Like, oh, I edited a video. Are they going to cast me out of my own tribe, you know? So there's there's a deeper problem there. So yeah, you become an asset. And at the end of the day, assets make people money. So if you think of yourself as an asset, not an editor, you can ask for anything, really.
2: As the web media economy has been developing, I think we, of course, adopted the word editor from traditional. And I think we also kind of adopted a lot of the traditional values of what is that label of an editor. But as we've developed and matured into our own direction, I think we're beginning to think that the label editor is actually a little bit outdated, and probably a bit of a mislabeling, we've talked about it before, where editors are sort of uh, actively involved, the person right next to the creator, making sure these videos are as the best as they possibly can be very intimately involved. So much so that you say, like, it's kind of, the editors are 45% of the channel. We even had this conversation with Tony Santos who works with Thomas Frank, and he kind of labeled what he does is he's not an editor, he's a creative assistant. And he helps uh, Thomas Frank in like, again, the vast majority of that channel and editing is part of that process. And so I think a bit more of a modernization into the editor label is I sort of see it a bit more of it being a creative assistant for the creator. I'd way more hire a, a YouTuber
0: than just an editor like but there is a danger that you spread yourself too thin Mm -hmm. so if you want to be a really good editor you've got to focus on that one red flag for me normally is my editor's doing the thumbnails and i'm like that's not going to turn out very well because thumbnail design is a beast in its own there's about three people in the world i trust to pass on to my clients at that but if you got really good at it and you're an editor that's two very high paying jobs potentially in terms of value that you provide to people if you can film with the client I love it when I hire a videographer. Mm-hmm. It just makes my life so easy. So if you're local, that's a bonus. If you're not, okay, it's not going to be an option. Mm-hmm. So what you said about giving this thing of like 120% effort uh, or 100, you know, trying to give the client more than they've almost paid you for, like branching out in your skills is only going to do wonders if you get good at it. This is how it works for me. So if I was to paint my dream editor, who's a creative director, I ask them for feedback on my thumbnail and title because hopefully they're starting to understand the YouTube game. And this is what I used to do with James. We would go through the scripts and I'd be like, what do you think? Ah, this bit. What if we did this? Because he's a creative, right? So he's got these fun ideas. And I was like, oh, it's a great idea. And then we would go and film it. And he'd go and edit it, do the feedback and so on. So he would actually help come and film sometimes too, because he was Mm local-ish. So that's my dream, is someone that helps me at every stage. Yes, they're the editor, but they're a fantastic feedback loop as well. Mm -hmm. And I let them dive in and go, right, I see what you're doing, let's make it better. But then to me as well, I I would kind of want to develop, right, and it's like, editing's great. It does get a bit repetitive sometimes, but new challenges and new skills. And then, you know, suddenly you could be managing the whole entire channel. That's a much higher, and then you're managing the team. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you are the YouTuber, they just turn up to film. So Mm -hmm, you can leverage that, (laughs) (laughs) definitely.
1: Another trend, though, going along those lines that I've noticed is as editors join a channel the channel becomes very successful, they continue to develop those skills, um, learning everything that the YouTuber actually knows about how to be a creator, they then go, well, you know, I want to do this for myself. So I'm going to go ahead and start my own channel. I'm going to become a creator. And the cycle continues. What do you do if you're inevitably going to have such an amazing editor that will just leave?
0: Well, the first thing you do is they're going to give you an automatum. They're going to say, I want to go off my own, you know, unless something changes. Right. And you have that conversation. If they're just like straight
2: up, I want to go off on my own. Great. Like encourage them, like help them out. It's an excellent opportunity for the reevaluation of the incentives. Like if they feel the desire and to want to go do their own thing, it's like, of course, giving them that option to go. But... If you would also like to stay, what would you want? What is it that you want to be fulfilled that I can't give to you? Maybe we can find the opportunity for me to give that to you as well. And so, but it's still giving them the option, but ultimately I would say making it their decision. Like, I I think it's unfair to hold someone back if they want to move on. Yeah, like like let them go, absolutely, yeah. I think it's your duty as an employee, if someone says they want to leave
0: to say, how can I help you? How can I help you get something?
2: Because of the demand of editors, there is a poaching culture. Let's just say there is a thousand creators who want the best editors, but there's only a hundred editors. And so everyone's trying to make sure that those hundred editors are on their channel.
1: Good for the editors. It's great for the <laughs> editors.
2: Yeah. We're loving this it. This is what
0: happens in the stock market. This is yeah. what happens in the
2: stock market. Prices go up. Yep. Yeah. That's prices, a good
0: thing. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. You, you gave me the answer I was looking for. Yeah. The, the YouTubers aren't sitting there going, oh, I, I'm going to struggle to pay this guy hundred grand. They're making such insane amounts of money. I don't think people realize the scale of money that has come to YouTube. That's why I started another channel about it, because I meet people who make millions a month from YouTube.
1: Pricing psychology is so fascinating, where you can honestly make up any price, and it could work for a particular market. When if you're just starting, and you're like, okay, I want to make as much as I can, obviously, like, what are the baby steps to try to get there? How do you make sure that your, you know, value and your skills are matching your price? And like, what how do you get started? You got to think about
0: what kind of business you run around, want to run. So you could go for like mass rather than having a few clients, going for lots of people who are paying less. And maybe you'll be able to build up your skills there to then work out the sort of clients that you want to work with. And I think it's just experience. Firstly, you've got to try different things. Like there's lots of different businesses you could start. So you might say, oh, I'm going to try some of them. I'm just going to do short form and then become the master of that over the long term, or I'm just going to do storytelling, or I'm just going to do educators you might want to experiment to find that thing that works for you um and then it's baby steps really but for me it's really important to think about the end goal right because if you don't have that you don't go anywhere you just zigzag right so it's like okay i know what's possible how do i get there and what's my plan to get there bit by bit and really that is the only advice i can give is start small but think big so you just get better more visible and then you can start to charge more so niching down is good and you can go really niche like adding subtitles to tiktoks there was a young guy doing 70 grand a month funniest thing about that is his tiktok channel is not about editing he just has subtitles on it and then he funnels people from that to say if you want subtitles like mine and then he's got a team in the philippines putting them on he's raking it in oh wow (laughs) wow but even like short form right now is a massive opportunity the big gap for me is i don't want to think I want you to repurpose my content and you to come up with the hook and work out what the best possible short form piece from this is to put on multiple platforms. That is going to be a massively in-demand skill. Right now, everyone's like, I'll just repurpose it. And it's like, no, because I need a hook. It's a different ballgame yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to tell you, okay, I've worked out every hook because that's going to take me hours. I want you to go, we've worked out the best hooks. Here it is. It's not quite as sexy as like editing for Logan Paul, but. There's a massive, massive demand though. So you could say, right, I'm going to get good at that. And then I'm going to have my passion projects on the side that I'm going to fund, then I'm going to go for other clients and use my reputation. I've built as a, a credible professional in one area to go wider.
2: I actually do think right now, most editors, that's actually a really, really great place to start yeah. learning how to make short form and make that find the hook, make it effective. How could you clarify the point? How can you make sure people are watching food to the end in a satisfying way, rather than a, rather than a mental hijacking way, learning that process and doing it in such a condensed process is actually really, really important. And so I think it's really getting that experience. It seems to be the best place to start is small scale and then work your way up to the bigger scale. And it's great that you can do that now. Basically, if you want to master anything, like anything
0: in the world, there's three things you need to do. Focus, just pick one thing and focus on it. Obsess, literally just obsess over that thing and mastery and master it. Also, what I love about the short form thing is you've got an amazing portfolio, right? Because you're not just the person who edited. These things blow up. I edited videos that have got over a billion views. No one's
2: going, oh, can you tell me how long the video was, please? They're going, yeah, right.
0: wow, this guy's been part of something ma- magical, right? So you can actually use that for your own marketing too.
2: That's what I kind of want to niche down to. And I kind of like, it sounds right to me, but like, but even for you, it looks like you want to be niching down as well. What, what's it for you?
0: So my dream was to explode me massive. Mm-hmm. and you know videos start getting hundreds of thousands of views and what i noticed was video could get 300,000 views and people wouldn't book me a video could get 10,000 views and my bookings were going crazy and i was like huh turns out making videos like mr beast is actually very good for my business and doesn't bring the people that I actually want to work with to me either who i can actually help basically if you want to build a big business you don't need many views at all it's just credibility that you need and most corporations on the world do not have ten thousand people who love them so that's what makes cr- being a creator so powerful is you build a huge community of fans that have a love and respect for your business that coca-cola won't have you know
1: i think i want to niche down to being just the music video guy so ed if you don't know me i, I... thought you were the music video guy yeah. that's how i, I, I thought think you were, of you I, I, am. You've already done it. <laughs> I am but i think the, here's my issue so Like you said earlier, you got to be careful with what you go viral with. Yeah. I went viral with some K-pop videos. And so now my entire audience is K-pop fans, essentially. And so I have courses. I have things to learn how to edit music videos, to edit short form. And I think that's where my niche is. But my audience on YouTube, there's there's a very small portion of them that are actually interested in that. And so there's big numbers. But as far as the business, it's like not very significant. So like you said, you know, you could get a video with 300,000 views and it doesn't really help your business whatsoever. And yeah, I love the K-pop fans. They're great. We have so much fun on the channel. That's true. And they're amazing. But what you're saying about like maybe you shouldn't be going for views. Maybe you should be going for the right clientele. That's really resonating with me. What do you think, Ed? Do you think I should really actually kind of shift my content if the priority is to make money through those course offers. Who's your dream client? Somebody who's wanting to go basically from zero to six figures being a freelance editor. Be commercials- Specifically with music videos. Commercials and music videos.
0: I would either consider pitching it as more around the, the, the result of the money and then just be like, and we do it by doing music videos and products. I'm the guy that teaches editors to make six figures a year. Mm-hmm. So I always say to people in three years time, You walk down the street and someone sees you and recognizes you, but they can't remember your name and they explain to their friend who you are. And they get that that's the guy. That's the guy that teaches people to make six figures as editors. If you do that, you have owned that space. Yeah. And it's such a very clear offer. If if it's like that's the guy that teaches people to make music videos, oh, what's the potential with that? Do I wanna do that? Right? right? So the editor wants to make money. You then say we do it with music videos and products and then they can go, I'm interested in that or not. But I would lead with the result and be like, this is what I live and breathe for is getting
1: you guys to 100K k year as editors. If I don't I use, know if I like being known as that. Like that kind of makes no me one feel icky. It does make you feel, but- it makes you
0: feel icky, but it's what gets clicks. A guy I know, he, he positioned himself as the guy that helps you land $25,000 clients, very specific. And he's went in on that and he's like, when we went in on this one result that people wanted, it changed the way people looked at us. Right. It is icky, but it's not as bad as, you know, struggling to pay the bills,
2: That's right? True. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it just keeps this keeps coming down to branding. It's like how you brand yourself, how you label yourself. And then that attracts the specific clientele. And I think actually owning it, it seems to be like rather than just like kind of semi-committing to it. It's like if the it, the more you confidently tell the world, this is the type of person who I am, that will be the type of clientele that you would get. Yeah. And it's just, it's about that, a sense about that confidence, it, it, so it sounds so simple, but it's like, you're right, but it's like kind of giving yourself permission to think like that, right. I think is the hard process that a lot of editors struggle with.
1: I think YouTube is traditionally known as a place where, you know, sometimes creators, or at least people working under the creative business don't get paid the best. How do you tell, have you seen anything like that? What's your take on it?
0: I'm shocked sometimes at how low the editors get paid from some of the biggest creators on the planet. Because you can see the ads, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're making millions a year. I know you've got a big team and stuff like that, but you're paying $60,000 and you're looking for like a head editor. You know, you don't pay a CEO of a company 60 grand a year. You pay them 4 million, right? Because the value that they're adding. So I'm always surprised. I'm like... Why are people
2: doing this? Because they should be doubling it or tripling it, right? Because of the value they're adding. They're taking advantage of editors' aspirations. Like, yeah, it's like the label, I can save i edited for X big creator. So fine, I will take that 50K a year gig. Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, you could lose another 50K
0: a year and it would make no difference. You probably wouldn't even notice in your bank account. But that person who's providing so much value is life-changing. If you find the right person mm. and they're providing tons of value, they're always on time, you know, they're adding in these extra things, then you should just naturally want to pay them more. But I think, I don't think, I don't necessarily think it's the creators doing it intentionally. I think what's happened is the going rate has been set mm. and no one's challenged it.
2: You really are showcasing the importance that an editor shouldn't just be an editor who knows how to do things creatively. They should know the practical applications on how to do business. How can they learn to do business? The quickest way? Just read Alex
0: Hormozy's 100 million dollar offer book. He just took all the business advice business coaches have been telling for years and just put it into a really simple book about creating offers. Um, and then take Def Bezos's approach of customer service. That's the number one thing to get right. It's like, how can I serve these people to the point where they're like, oh my God, everything else sucks. And I remember, <laughs> books are great, right? They were so like boring to me for a long time. I remember reading one. And then doing some what it said, and I was just like, oh, we like doubled our turnover this month. And I was like, wow, books are great. Like, yeah, every yeah, time yeah. I read one, everything explodes. So experience, books, YouTube's great. Hormozzi's Hormozy's got some strong messages. This guy called Sabri Sabri, if you really want to go deep on marketing, uh, he's like next level um
2: and twitter i find really good for learning stuff so so it's simply putting yourself in the environment that encourages you to think about it i always saw the editor editor industry and the business industry and i kind of saw those two different bubbles but like there is now a huge overlap between that and if you do want to be a successful editor in a really really competitive industry now the best editors are simply the best businessmen